idea there is essentially if you are not a Canadian, if you're not a Canadian resident um, and you have property that's not occupied, um, there's an extra tax on it. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I'm Brent Nelson, and per usual, I am joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? We're doing all right. We're keeping busy. Being, we're occupied. You know, you know the whole thing about idle hands and stuff. That's that's us. We got to make sure that everybody's occupied. No idle hands. No idle hands. Uh-huh. Hey, you know, I haven't asked you in a while. How's the home renovation, kitchen renovation doing? I think our our listeners haven't heard an update all summer. Is is that still oh. going? Or are you guys done now? Well, yes and no. Uh, it is still going. We're kind of done for the time being and from the perspective that we've done a ton of work. We've put in a bunch of flooring. The flooring has kind of stopped at a particular hallway and we haven't done the rest of the flooring in that hallway because it's going to take a bunch of special cuts. We're going to have to move around some appliances because it's got to go into the laundry room and that all takes a lot of time and we've just been super busy. So it's, we've got the, the flooring is all. And then once that's done, we still have to do the baseboards. We haven't done the baseboards yet, but so for, for 80% of the work, it's basically done. And then this 20% is just pending our schedules opening enough where we can spend the time and attention. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. So you're, you're fully functional now. It's just, I mean, you technically don't need to finish it, right? I mean, <laughs> you could work on the concrete. You don't need baseboards. You know, baseboards just get dirty. They just get mm-hmm. dinged up. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. You, the industrial look is kind of in right now. So, you know, you can kind of keep that vibe. It's very industrial. <laughs> yes. The house was built in the early 90s. So it's hard to say that it has an industrial design. <laughs> So it doesn't really look industrial. It just looks incomplete. <laughs> it definitely looks like a house that is under a constant state of renovation. But <laughs> all of the furniture has been moved back into its rightful place. All right. That's yeah. that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, with kids back in school and everything and it getting busy and to the starting to get near the end of the year and holidays, I get the time aspect. So, yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. But you're almost we'll there. there. You're almost there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> what about you? Are you working on new projects? Because you seem always in the process of projects. I don't have a house project. And it's kind of weird because I've actually just started following a lot more like DIYers. And so I've got the urge. I've got like a list of what I would do. I just haven't started anything yet. Again, to your point, I'm just so exhausted at the end of the day. I don't want to start anything else, but... Um, we will have to do some renovations this winter, so it's coming. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking I'm just going to like right. take a break until then. And mm-hmm. then that's going to be a big job then. Okay, cool. I, you know, I, I can't, uh, I can't even razz you about that because look at me, I've got a house that I just admitted is in the middle of a project and it may not be done anytime soon. <laughs> it just takes a lot of, it just takes so much effort. Like every, at least the particular project that we're working on with the flooring, like you, it's a vinyl plank that snaps together uh, with tongue, tongue and groove, but you do have to cut it. And in a, in a narrow space, like a hallway, depending on what direction the planks are going, that ends up being a lot of different cuts. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, it's not just like, 
putting it down, it's it's taking the time to cut every single one and measure them off. And then, you know, maybe you screw up one or two of them, you got to redo it. And it's a big commitment. So mm-hmm. we just got to, we got just got to carve out some time and do it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Well, speaking of people who have carved out time, we're joined today by our friend, Paul Taylor. Paul is a partner at Borden, Ladner & Gervais in Ottawa. And Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Um, I, was, I was biting my tongue while you were talking, though. We, we just finished building a house. Uh, oh. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, man, I know what the flooring you're talking about. I, I know the feeling of uh, it's too much. We've just got to wait. It's, uh, it's, it seems like that's a pandemic project for everyone is, is, mm-hmm. is construction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has uh, definitely felt that way. You, you two have definitely, I think, gone the extra level above because you're, you're, you're DIYing it. We, uh, uh, we manage the project, but uh, let, let the experts uh, do the cutting. So uh, for for better or worse, uh, worse for the pocketbook for sure. But uh. yeah, well, my project in context, uh, you didn't know this, was that we had a hot water line burst in our kitchen oh, last January, and it totally destroyed the kitchen. And then it became this snowball. Uh, it became the snowball where now you have to fix the kitchen, which then they they sort of redid a bunch of the piping because the piping was old, and so they ripped up the whole house and all the drywall was messed up, and then it was like well maybe we we change out the flooring in the kitchen while we've got everything ripped up and then the flooring in the kitchen connects to the flooring pretty much everywhere in the house and then like that you know reached into all uh all other sundry areas of the house and it's just like a horrible horrible project that birthed many other projects right but now it feels probably like almost a new house yes at least half of the house (laughs) looks new (laughs) Well, Paul, for the few people who don't know who you are, why don't you at least give us an overview so people have some context? Sure, sure. So I'm I'm a partner in our tax group, uh, and sort of our subgrouping is is the private client group, and um, and so my practice revolves uh, mainly around uh, estate and trust planning um, and estate and trust administration, along with assisting people dealing with uh, incapacity issues. So uh, I'm what we would call up here a, a solicitor. Uh, which essentially means that uh, that I don't go to court generally, but uh, you know do all the the planning side, the probate, all that kind of good stuff. Um, I also do a a fairly large amount of work for financial institutions, but in this area. So uh, you know when the bank gets a weird trust, it doesn't know what to do with. Sometimes they'll call me and say, you know, what do we do with this? Um, and uh, one of the larger parts of my practice, which I think is why we're chatting today, is that we do a lot of work for folks who have, uh, who are Canadians, who have U.S. assets, or who are U.S. persons, uh, or you know, so sort of vice versa. So Americans with with Canadian property uh, or Canadian beneficiaries. Yeah, really similar practice area to us, I would say. So this is this is all very apropos. Well, we're really glad that you're with us. I I appreciate very much uh, the chance to do this with you. It's it's a little bit paying it forward because I I had a chance to do a presentation with you uh, a while ago. So this is this was long on the agenda. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be I thought it'd be interesting for people given uh, timing here. This is September. 2021 and both of our countries respectively are either uh, on the cusp of of an election like yours is or have just come through an election and there are proposals to really change the rules in some meaningful ways that could affect people in a cross-border context either because they truly have 
two feet in both or one foot in, in either country uh, or because they have family in one country or they have businesses in one country. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of walk through some of the highlights or, you know, what are some of the things that are being proposed in Canada? We can talk about some of the things that are being proposed down here in the States and then talk about what, if any changes that could have in our practice and for our clients. That sounds great. Well, so so fill us in. What What's going on on your side of the border? Uh, so, I, I mean, on our side, we've... Um... We actually just went through uh, one of the bigger changes uh, for people contemplating trusts, um, and our trust disclosure rules just changed in Canada. Uh, so it it used to be that you could set up a trust, um, and depending on the assets of the trust, uh, a lot of them wouldn't even have to file. Uh, if there was no income coming in, uh, you wouldn't have to file, and and the C- they'd really be off the radar of the CRA, which is sort of our version of the IRS. Um, CRA obviously didn't like that, and so the the government uh, has has tightened down the rules a bit in terms of of the disclosure that gets made. So uh, there are a lot more returns that have to be filed, even if there's no income. And one of the bigger changes um, is that the social insurance number of all different kinds of people involved in the trust has to be disclosed. Uh, so that's the same as your social security number. So the the idea there is. We need the social insurance number of the settler, of the trustees, of you know any named beneficiaries, of any beneficiaries who get things. It's 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 a pretty wide ranging uh, thing. So before, where you might have had a trust that you know, oh, I'll include my aunt and my cousins and whatever as well because you know, I might want to give them some money at some point. Um, now you really have to think that through because if you're not 100% sure you're going to give them money, you still have to ask for the social insurance number, um, which can lead to an awkward conversation. Um, and I think one of the one of the big things that, that arises out of this is planners who used to settle a lot of trusts for their clients, um, and especially if they were settling, you know, fairly aggressive trusts for their clients. Now there's a link, right? There's a chain, and and uh, it's it's part of a broader push, I think, that the CRA has done, and and the government has done in general uh, to try to be able to link information. Uh, and the main link for all these different things is your social insurance number. So they can say, oh, there's companies there with directors that have these social insurance numbers. And then there's, you know, trusts of trustees. And, and you know, in the 80s, they couldn't do anything with that information. But now we can. Um, so so that's that's one of the bigger uh, changes that's already come into effect. And and it's interesting because you see with it uh, proposed changes that are that they're looking at coming into with with intri- increased transparency for corporations. Um, and that same idea, just more information gathering. And and in Canada, you know, budget after budget after budget has poured more and more money into the CRA for enforcement. Uh, so enforcement of you know high net worth individuals, uh, enforcement of of you know particular schemes they think are issues. Um, you know, so it's 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 becoming a bit of a juggernaut. And and and, and you know, audit risk is real in Canada. I don't know if it's quite the same in the U.S. right now, but no, we've kind of gone the opposite direction. We have defunded the IRS for many years, and the suggestion, in fact, even recently, that the IRS should receive additional funds in order to address uh, tax noncompliance and, mm-hmm. you know, read into that audit rich people. Uh, has not been popular, even with the current makeup of our federal government, which is essentially controlled by the Democratic Party. So you would think that 
among the Democrats as uh, left-leaning as they are um, perceived to be, at least in some political spheres in the U.S. or discourse in the U.S., it is not a popular topic to go after tax cheats. Tax cheats is too strong a word. It's just <laughs> non-compliance is probably the better right. word. Um, not very popular. However, on the flip side of that, we do have a at least a corporate transparency rule that is coming into effect soonish. Um, there's supposed to be regulations issued by January 1, 2022, and then the disclosure rules kick in two years after that. And you're going to have to disclose to the federal government or the Department of Treasury, to be more specific, uh, names of owners, beneficial owners of all sorts of entities. And there's a big question mark on that about whether trusts are going to be included. So we're going to find out on our side whether trusts are included like they sound like they're included on your side. Interesting. Yeah, we, we did the the trust sort of separately, and and the the corporate stuff we're doing is a lot in line with the OECD and and sort of their suggestions and and so forth. Uh, I know the U.S. sometimes, you know, goes their own way with these things. Is it are are your rules meant to be sort of fit into that or? They are. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's that's exactly it. The corporate disclosures are meant to comply with the OECD standards. To your point, we've been outcast. Nah, we <laughs> just do our own thing. Um, we like to go it alone. Um, but I think slowly but surely, there's been enough pressure on the uh, on the U.S. from other countries to come into compliance with OECD standards that you know these sorts of things are even possible politically to pass in the U.S. And frankly, it it the change was enacted to very little fanfare. It was almost like it happened and. Almost nobody knew it was happening. And after it happened, almost nobody talked about the fact that it just happened. It just was passed. And that probably tells you all you need to know about the focus of the populace. Uh, but there are enough people in the government who do care about the OECD standards and are actively involved in crafting them that they they want to see those standards implemented here. Interesting. Uh, so I, I actually live in a, a small town called Chelsea, which is just north of um uh, of Ottawa, and uh, our uh, we're having an election as you as you noted, and and our uh, one of the people running for the Liberal Party who has a pretty good shot, I would say, uh, she worked uh, for um, our our government and then went and worked at the OECD. So uh, it's interesting that that here, <laughs> I, I I wouldn't say that people care that much more about uh, you know what the OECD is doing, but it certainly. Uh, you know, it's a well-respected thing, and 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 people, uh, I think, seem to be on board with 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 doing that. I I mean, um, I think this is probably similar in 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 your area. But one of the things that one of the other sort of big themes we've seen, and this is sort of hitting a transition point now, um, is the last year and a half has been all about um, all about COVID and COVID relief and sort of you know, we had relief programs for employers, we had relief programs for employees, we had relief programs for landlords, so, um, and and sort of, I think there might have been for renters as well. So there's, you know, there's the whole gamut of, of, of different programs that the government had to sort of make sure that, uh, you know, in the beginning, and I think they could have framed it a bit better, but essentially pay you not to work in some cases, you know, the three of us can work from home. This isn't a big deal. Uh, my commutes, you know, shorter and, and you know, it, it works all right. But, uh, you know, for those people who have to work outside of the home, you know, they the really the goal early on was to make sure that if, if you didn't need to be doing your job, 
for society to function, then then maybe back off for a bit. Um, and then also just, you know, as businesses were affected to make sure that people, uh, people had a softer landing. Um, you know, now I, it's interesting, we're, we're looking at a lot of, you know, how do we boost the economy? How do we, you know, push things forward a bit? Um, and so another big thing that we've seen in Canada recently is a discussion on housing prices. Um, and so housing prices in Canada have just skyrocketed through the pandemic. Um, and so one of the things that they actually did in the budget in the spring um, was to propose a speculation tax. And, and that's something that, again, the, the, the parties are, uh, that at least the, a couple of the parties that are looking likely to win are, are looking at, uh, at following through. Uh, and the idea there is essentially if you are not a Canadian, if you're not a Canadian resident um, and you have property that's not occupied, um, there's an extra tax on it. Um, so we've already done that at, at the provincial level in some jurisdictions, um, but the idea is to do this on the national level. Because I think there's a thought that in some hot markets, especially sort of Vancouver and Toronto, that uh, that this is a big issue. Um, so that they're hoping to cool that, but at the same time, you know, they're coming up with a bunch of different ways to get first-time home buyers more money. So, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, at the end of the day, that I think in Canada we have really we have a supply problem that that it's tough to fix with tax cuts. But um, you know, yeah, well, it, it turns out taxes don't always fix everything. It's, <laughs> well, it's it, it's interesting you mentioned that because I thought that it was all there was already that kind of a tax for non-resident owners of real estate in Vancouver and. It, Either exactly. in Toronto or in or in Ontario, I can't remember if it was just Toronto or not. It, it so in in BC they they have sort of generally one in BC, and then in Ontario they did the unusual move of the province put in a tax that just applied in the in sort of the Golden Horseshoe area around Toronto. Mm. Um, you don't see that too often, um, but uh, so because but I think that's where that's where the the, the speculation was happening. Of course, now the speculation is just happening outside of there. So it's happening in, you know, Montreal and Ottawa and other places like that right now. Um, so that's that's been sort of one thing that people are looking at. Um, another thing that, uh, let's see, one one thing that actually they've put into place or, or looking to put into place is a luxury goods tax. So that's for cars, planes, and boats that are expensive. Um, so it doesn't seem to have cooled the market much, but it might have you know, help the revenues a little bit. Um, and I think one of the most interesting proposals that I've seen, um, so there's there's a few different parties in Canadian politics. And and so right now there's sort of our, one of our left-wing parties uh, is called the NDP. Um, they're unlikely to form a government, but they might be supporting a government. So it does matter what they say. Um, and uh, they're they're very keen on a wealth tax, uh, but neither the, the Conservatives or the Liberals who are currently in power seem to be. Um, and uh, so it's unlikely that you'd see one, uh, but what the Liberals seem to have proposed almost as an alternative to that is uh, is a minimum tax. Um, so a 15% minimum tax on on sort of the highest bracket of earners. Um, and so the, the thought process there is that, you know, people are using too many deductions or tax credits or whatever to lower their tax bill. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that 
were to go into into practice, um, how the, the mechanics of that actually work. Um, because, you know, some people do make use of deductions and credits, uh, but a lot of people, you know, they they try to reduce the income, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or spread it or sprinkle it or, or, or whatever, or defer it. Um, and and I don't know that a minimum tax really catches you on that. So, uh, you know, you're not getting at the same thing that a wealth tax would get at, but uh, you know, it is at least they can say, uh, and it seems to be a pretty popular thing to say that that we're going to tax wealthy people more. So, uh, you know, that's that's always yeah. popular or currently popular in Canada. I guess not always popular, but it seems to be more popular here than in the U.S. It has some legs in the U.S. I I, I would mm-hmm. say so. Rachel and I are getting calls from family members worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You just you you hear the news, right? Oh, new forty percent tax coming out, and everyone just freaks out, and they don't they don't see the little details and what what threshold, what bracket you need to be in to get that tax. But you just you hear the news and you think, oh man, they're coming for everyone now at this point. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it's really interesting all the the proposals that that you're outlining, Paul. I feel like it's you know, Brent, correct me if, if you disagree. But I feel like here in the U.S., we really see, or especially in terms of getting made headlines and getting a lot of publicity, are those main, you know, we're raising capital gains. We are raising the estate tax. We're lowering the estate tax. We're lowering the gift tax. Really just big, broad concepts where I feel like in Canada, it's they're really creative, honestly, <laughs> the, the way that they're, they're kind of proposing it. Because the, the conversation's the same down here, right, is after COVID, we've spent how many trillions of dollars on relief packages, the government has to raise money. Like, I feel like no one can argue against that. Like, we have to raise money in order to pay for all of this. How are we going to do it? Um, but I feel like the the main topics that you really see in the news and what people are really um, could could potentially be very upset about are those big ones where it's really just focusing on the income tax or the estate tax. Yeah, it, it's interesting because we we haven't seen a lot of them uh, a lot of movement on rates here. Um, you know, there were there's maybe probably almost 10 years ago now or maybe a little more what a previous government got into power sort of promising to reduce our our sales tax and they did and that's you know there's been sort of tinkering at the margins with some corporate tax rates and things like that as well um those have gone down those went down in sort of the the late 2000s early 2010s but um but the personal rates have have been pretty steady um, so a lot of what the government's done in the last, you know, we'll, we'll call it five years, uh, has been focused at, um, you know, making sure that everyone's getting to that rate. So, um, you know, they had a, a bunch of rules that came in a few years ago called TOSI. So they're, it's called tax on split income. And so that was really designed to make sure, you know, if I had a family business that was incorporated um, and, you know, maybe my kids are shareholders, uh, or a spouse or whatever or shareholders, if they're not active in the business, they're getting taxed at a high rate. Um, so just to make sure that's that's the simple version. Tosi is actually incredibly complex, and that's one of the big criticisms of it. But so they've been doing things like that, uh, but but leaving sort of rates fairly fairly similar, which which leads to a bit of a situation where um, the debate happens among practitioners. Really, uh, I mean, one you know one of the big things that they're looking at doing that, that's in the liberal platform is changing what we call GAR, and that's called the, that's the general anti-avoidance rule. And so it's sort of a broad rule that says if you're using tax rules in a way they're not meant to be used, 
um, intentionally to save money and avoid taxes, you can't do that. Um, and, you know, it, it flies against the spirit of, you know, what how courts have interpreted Canadian tax laws, which is the opposite, which is you're allowed to use the rules to pay the lowest amount possible, so long as you're in compliance with the rules. Um, and so there's been a, you know, a give and take between that. Um, and so now they're looking at, you know, you know, mo they call it modernizing it, but making it more difficult uh, to sort of uh, e e evade the GAR. Um, evades may be a little strong, but um, but that's that's the discussion that practitioners have, right? It's 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 not yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's not it's not the same as saying, you know, we're gonna in, in in Canada the big the big thing they're always worried about is is increasing the capital gains inclusion rate, uh, which is essentially increases the capital gains tax rate. Um, that's a big thing that everyone's worried about. You know, they haven't touched that, but they're doing all these other things at at the margins to try to, you know, try to fill those holes that uh, clever practitioners keep on poking. So, <laughs> and they will continue to poke. I mean, let's just be honest. You got to call a spade a spade. There's there's a saying down here, at least that I learned when I was getting my uh, my master's in tax, and the saying was uh, ten. 10 foot fences create 12 foot ladders and that's a lot of what tax planning is you know they create a they create 12 foot fences someone will come up with a 14 foot ladder that's just on and on and on and on and on it's why we have jobs i think they can't legislate out our jobs because uh they keep doing these things you come up with clever ways to get around it and then they close that and then you come up with another clever way and and the cycle continues. There's an interesting thing going on right now in the US where we're talking about very a lot like to Rachel's point we're talking a lot about tax rates, right? We're talking about increasing the top marginal individual rate from 35 to 39.6%, which is what it was a few years ago. We're talking about increasing the capital gains rate on people making more than a million dollars of income, whatever that is going to end up being. We don't know exactly how they're going to define income. Talking about uh, potentially charging capital gains on certain gifting transactions, talking about getting rid of a few of the deferral methods on capital gains related to real estate, probably a, a finger in the eye to the Trump administration more than anything. And we're talking about all of these things when in reality, the thing that makes the biggest difference is not the tax rate. Like the tax rate is like the last thing on the list that even matters. And anybody who's had to fill out an American tax return understands that the tax rate like that applies at the very, very, very bottom of this enormous long list that's got like 50 or 60 lines of crap on it. It's in the 50 or 60 lines of crap where all the magic happens. I, I, you get to the bottom get to, I thought you were getting to postcard returns, no? Oh, yeah. <laughs> They did. They got the return allegedly down to one page, but then it has so many attachments to it. It's just as long as it used to be. In fact, I think it's longer now than it used to be. So it's that it's it's that like but it's very difficult in the in a political context to get people to think of taxes in terms of all of the ways that are built into our tax code, which is very complicated, very much like the Tax Act in Canada. It's very complex, but all the different ways that you can defer and you can get exemptions and you can you can get deductions and you can re, you can sort of shelter income, you can classify income as being one type of income that's good versus another that's bad and all sorts of things. And if they were really, really, really 
motivated in the states to raise as much money as humanly possible, that is where they would focus their attention, not on the rate. But they like to focus on the rate because it's easy to say the rate. And it's easy to get people behind you because it looks like you're oh, yeah. making movement. And and that's one of the things that I found interesting is that, you know, in, in Canada, um, there's a political aversion to even talking about changing rates because uh, certainly raising them. Nobody likes to raise, you know, no one wants to have their taxes raised. It's okay to have someone else's taxes raised, which is why you're seeing, you know, when when the Liberal government came in, um, you know, two terms ago, that was one of the first things they did is they they added sort of an additional tax on, on highest earners. Um, and that's, but that's really the only spot that we've seen a lot of rate changes. And, and the same thing with the minimum tax I was talking about is, um, that's where we've seen rate changes. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because on, on the other hand, one of the things that they've done, uh, and I think you you were looking at doing something similar as well, uh, is we've we've had sort of refundable tax credits for for, for people, parents for a long time, uh, but they consolidated that and made it to a much more coherent and more generous uh, credit for uh, for parents uh, with children. And one of the things that they're looking at doing um if they're reelected is doing a similar thing for for uh, people with disabilities um who currently um you know you you get federal tax credits but not a lot of money from the federal government most of the money comes from the provincial governments and and it's it stayed at less than poverty levels for such a long time that i think this is uh this is probably long overdue but so we have seen not tinkering with the rates, but certainly much more aggressive um, tax credits and refundable tax credits, which essentially just end up being a check um, for a lot of lower income uh, people in Canada. Um, yeah, it's it's similar here. We have a, a pretty fulsome child tax credit that is effective for this tax year. It's refundable next year when people file their taxes. We have what they call the earned income tax credit, which is for people who have quote unquote earned income, i.e. they have money they're earning, but it's not of a sufficient level to get them much above the poverty level statistically. And then you can get a refundable credit. Uh, there's a handful of others, but we, we're, yeah, we're pretty fond of those. I don't know that we have anything for disability ability specifically that I can think of. Maybe Rachel can think of one, but I, I, I don't recall one. No, I don't recall one either. I, I mean, this is new here also. Um, and it's interesting. Well, with your earned income one reminded me that another one of the promises is um, if you're over 65 and you make over $5,000 a year, you get a tax credit, um, which I think, <laughs> you know, reduces the more you make. But I guess in some ways is to encourage people to uh, uh, to work longer, um, which is a different tack than was taken a few years ago when uh, when they were looking at raising the ages for uh, Canada Pension Plan and, and old age security and that kind of stuff. So instead, they'll just try to they'll use a carrot, not a stick <laughs> to get you to keep working a bit longer. <laughs> well, there's an incentive. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the uh, one of the things that they're talking about doing here, whether they're going to actually do this re really remains to be seen, is to change rules, like I mentioned, to potentially charge people capital gains on certain gift transactions, which is somewhat similar to the Canadian system. I actually think if they did it, um, well, I mean, I'd be in favor of them just getting rid of our current gift and estate tax regime entirely and implement something very akin to what they do in Canada, partly because it'll make my life easier as a practitioner. But <laughs> uh, And I think it's a pretty uh, 
efficient system. But if if we have that kind of capital gain regime here, interestingly, I think it will actually help a lot of Canadians because already if they are Canadian resident and they they make a gift in the U.S. and it's not a gift for U.S. purposes, it can still trigger capital gains in Canada. So if it's triggering capital gains in both countries, at least you get some offsetting credits. Whereas now, if it triggered gift tax, you don't get an offsetting credit. So right. it could actually and, help that planning. Well, and, and, and I think that kind of thing, it'll at least increases or changes in basis will match each other a little better, I think, because that's where we yeah, exactly. that's where we have some issues is is um, although I always find it wild that there's so many circumstances in which people in the U.S. can increase the basis with no tax getting paid. That's sort of unheard of here. But anyway. we're fond of them. They're trying to get rid of yeah. those, too. But we are fond of those. The the theory behind it is the tax you would pay is the estate tax. Mm-hmm. Well, that made sense when you had to pay the estate tax if you had like more than $70,000 back in 1943. But those rules have changed substantially. So now you can have 11.7 million, pay no estate tax, but you still get a basis adjustment as if you paid the estate tax, even though you did not pay the estate tax and you yeah, were never going to pay the estate tax. <laughs> And it's one of those things, I, I feel like that's probably, it's going to be difficult for a party to go back on that um, because people like not paying taxes. Um, yes, they do. And, um, and that's, a you know, a lot of sort of middle class or, you know, even upper middle, upper middle class people will will feel it in ways they wouldn't have before. Um, so uh, that, that'll be interesting. Now, as you said, for, for Canadians, you know they're already paying the Canadian tax, so it's it won't make a huge difference if they make a change like that. But um, you know certainly it would be interesting to see. Uh, I mean it would completely change our landscape if if you ended up you know going moving to a system more like Canada because you know we do a lot of planning for uh, U.S. persons and we have you know trusts with ascertainable standards and all that kind of good stuff to make sure that uh, you know it's not included in the estate. So. Um, I'd be dusting off a lot of wills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'd, I think there'd be a fair amount of that on both sides. It's uh, it's never easy. And the only thing I know is if they change the rules in the United States, whatever they come up with, it will be very complicated. And that's one thing that is for certain. It will be complicated, even if it sounds really easy, like we'll just charge capital gains on gifts. It's not going to be that easy. It's going to be very complex to understand and then to implement it for people on both sides of the border. It just makes it more challenging. So what, one thing that um, some practitioners talk about whenever you know the government comes in with these increasingly complicated fixes to small problems uh, like like TOSI that I that I mentioned is you know maybe we need to take a step back and um, in Canada that usually means have some sort of a commission. So uh, and and so. Uh, a little over 50 years ago, there was something called the Carter Commission that essentially looked at how do you how should we tax people? And so all of our tax laws changed in in the early 70s uh, in terms of how income tax and all that kind of capital gains tax and all that's dealt with. And there's there's always whenever things get too complicated, there's murmuring that we should do that again. And and at some point, I think somebody probably will. Um, is that the, and you get a bit of a reset in some ways. Is that something that's at all at the table uh, in the U.S. or it's, it's no, no. <laughs> I don't see that happening. That's a very smart idea. <laughs> yeah, it would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. What you mean, getting together, trying to figure out what is the best long-term solution to this problem? We are very bad at that. Very, very bad at that. 
And maybe to a degree it happens at the state level mm -hmm. because in American politics, whether people like to admit it or not, it is the case that at most state and even local levels, painting with a somewhat broad brush, but the statistics do back me up on this, you have single party rule. So for example, in California, the Democratic Party controls every branch of government, and that right. is not going to change anytime soon. In Arizona, the Republican Party controls every branch of government that is not going to change anytime soon, notwithstanding what people might say. Like the statistics just don't back it up. So right. when that you is get the a couple case, of the Democratic senators, but that's that's about that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's totally which is completely different from how they populate the legislature, for example, in the state of Arizona. Every now and then we flirt with the Democratic governor, but that is the exception to the rule historically in our state. So sometimes in states like that, they do have more of a kind of comprehensive uh, view of the way that the tax system should work. And it's a little bit more targeted towards an ideology, whereas at the federal level, it tends to flip back and forth depending on the political wins. Right. Well, and it's interesting because those those kinds of things, I mean, when we talk about changing capital gains taxes in Canada, um, you know, for for most practitioners, the conversation event it will eventually go back to that, you know, Carter Commission um, and say, well, what was the point in the beginning of having them? And, you know, one of the big things that we have in Canada um, is the principal residence exemption, which essentially means there's no capital gains tax on your house. It's a bunch of rules and things around that, but that's that's essentially it. Um, and that is, you know, sacrosanct. Like it, if I, I, I was intrigued to see because because house prices are so overheated, you know, whether there'd be, you know, we're going to charge some capital gains on prices over a million or prices earned in the, or, you know, increases in the last two years or I don't know. Uh, but nobody has dared touch that with, you know, a 10 foot pole. Instead, they're doing things like tinkering on the margins. So, you know, house flipping, trying to crack down on flipping and, and stuff like that. Right. Um, because what people will do is you buy a house, you wait out the requisite amount of time, um, make your renovations and sell it, and it's a tax-free gain. So that's um, something that they try to crack down on, but it, it's it's difficult to know, you know, what what the right what the right rule is there. Um, and uh, so it's it, you know that's actually actually I think another thing that they were they were looking at in you know in the liberal platform is tightening tightening around that. But uh, like I said, we're we're not dealing unfortunately. Unfortunately for, you know, people who want to get into a big public debate about taxes, uh, we're not getting into debates like you who have, uh, you know, big rate changes or or you know, even conceptual changes like you were talking about with uh, with estate taxes. Yeah, to be fair, that that idea of charging capital gains on a gift is a new idea and it really is more in line with international standards, I would say, um, with with exceptions, of course, so nobody needs to email me to tell me that their, their country <laughs> doesn't do that. I, I'm aware. But as a broad stroke, somewhat to to the conversation we were having about OECD standards, you do see, at least in the Democratic Party, uh, a move to try to push the U.S. to look more like other Western countries and the way that it taxes and the way that it operates at this sort of larger federal government level on, on these particular issues. And I'm not trying to make any sort of political statement on that for any of our American listeners. So please don't take it that way. I'm just saying, like, as a matter of fact, that is the case. So a lot of these proposals actually mirror 
what I see in the tax uh, systems in other countries, including the idea of doing a wealth tax, which is not going to happen in the U.S., but we we flirted with the idea. We mm-hmm. thought about it. No, I and I mean, you know, I think Warren was one of the big proponents of it and had a sort of fulsome plan like she did for everything. But, um, you know, that it, it's interesting because one of the one of the things that I know we're seeing in Canada and I mentioned sort of the OECD changes, but, you know, is is you know, the the base erosion and, and you know, profit shifting discussions and, and trying to trying to plug some of those gaps. And, and I think working more internationally to, to do that, um, of course, you know, getting the U.S. on board with some of these things makes them makes them happen more, obviously. Um, it does help. It does yeah, help. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're seeing that slowly, but surely. <laughs> I, I mean, for for my clients, for what it's worth, what I'm telling them is that the days of anonymity are numbered, that that is going away. You know, it used to yeah. be. And, and that's true for clients who are U.S. resident and clients who are non-U.S. resident. And we have a lot of clients who invest in the U.S. or they have family in the U.S. and they live in a country where maybe they don't want certain people in that country to know that they own assets, say, in the United States, let alone that their government know, not not because they're trying to avoid taxes, but because there are people in the government who might not handle that information properly and it could be dangerous for them. So we have those kinds of clients. They're not trying to launder money. They have legitimate businesses, but they are living mm-hmm. in a dangerous country. That could go away. And even though, for example, the the corporate information, the beneficial ownership information is going to be given to the federal government, federal government, even in the U.S., is not immune to systems hacks. And so, no. you know, if you're making those disclosures and now that information is being held in a particular location, it puts a target on that batch of information. And so I, I think there's going to be a lot of unease about, I don't know if there's anything to be done. It's like, if you want to do business in the U.S., you got to play by those rules. But that that era is quickly going away. Oh, no, I, I completely agree. I, I had a conversation with a client who um, owns, you know, a lot of land in a jurisdiction where records aren't, you know, digitized and, and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, we were talking about that. And, you know, trying to get across the fact that I know you don't think that anyone will find, well, you know, we'll see that, but they will. And it's, it's coming. Um, it's a matter of time and it's, it's, you know, it's years, not decades, I think. So yeah. um, it's on the horizon for sure. Well, very, very interesting. We could, we could chat all day long with you about this stuff, Paul, because it's very interesting to us, but we know you don't have the time and we probably uh, owe it to our clients to actually do work. So <laughs> <laughs> not just, not just to hypothesize. Well, if people are trying to find you, Paul, where should they find you? Uh, so the the easiest place is uh, is our website, which is blg.com, or, or you can shoot me an email at uh, ptaylor at blg.com, um, and uh, that'll that'll get to me. And uh, happy to chat about these issues and uh, any sort of Canadian or you know cross border planning questions that come up. Absolutely, and we'll we'll put your information in the show notes as well, so people can look for it there. Uh, we can't thank you enough, Paul. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Hey listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.